0: Well, good morning. morning. It's like you guys rehearsed that. That was good. (laughs) Hey, can I just tell you that you chose to come on an amazing day to worship God. Whether you're joining us in this room or uh, you're somewhere else, I got a feeling there's a lot of people driving really, really, really slow on I-75 headed north. (laughs) Sorry for you. We're going to take communion today at the back end, so those of you in this room, you have your communion elements, so hold on to those or set them somewhere. We'll take that together, and I'll lead you through that at the back end. If you're at home, um, you may take an opportunity at some point here uh, to grab something that you can share communion with us wherever you're joining us from. Uh, My wife is still in Nebraska with her family you weren't here last week, they gave my father-in-law last Thursday days to a week until he was to pass. No one has a crystal ball. He's still at this moment alive. It's hour by hour. Um, my wife, I believe, is online this morning watching her. That was her plan, but that could change. But um, yeah, just thanks for your prayers for the family. And uh, God has a plan, We're not going to live a second longer or go a second earlier. And I've just been praying, we've been praying our will, right? We know what that is, that he would just peacefully go. But there's somebody, there's still a purpose for his life, whether it's an observer, a nurse, a hospice worker, somebody, and that's what we're praying for. So we're in a series called Church Health, and today we're going to wrap up this series of messages with what I believe is the key not only to health and church health, but the key to life. And I believe this might be one of the most freeing, but maybe the most challenging messages that you may ever hear. I believe that, and, um, but it's the key. Because we as followers, if you haven't heard this yet, we are the church. If you know Jesus, this isn't a place we come, it's who we are. We've all got work to do. I was thinking of that worshiping in the band and the worship team, and I'm like, man, we are so blessed with the talent that God has put together here to do that, right? <laughs> I'm so glad that they're doing their part, but I wonder what would happen if all of you were doing your part as well. Some of you are. Many of you are, but not everybody. Church health. Here's a fact that we have in common. Let's just start here. We've all been hurt by others. we agree with that? We've all had hurts. We probably can say honestly that we've hurt other people, unintentionally, intentionally, whatever. We've all been betrayed. We've all been let down by other people, which means we're carrying wounds. A lot of us are more wounded than other people, right? But today is a day, I believe by the grace of God, that things can change. They can change from this point moving forward for every one of us, hearing my voice. I just really believe God's going to speak to some hearts today. I really believe that. If you would take out your message outlines, you can follow along, fill in the blanks as we go along. Did you know there's only two subjects in the entire Bible that God decided needed? They were so important topics that they needed an entire chapter just for themselves. Only two subjects in the entire Bible. One is found in the book of Hebrews, and it's faith. It's Hebrews chapter 11. You can read that. It's by faith that this one did this, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Faith is one of those subjects. And the second one is the one we're going to look at today. The second subject is found in 1 Corinthians 13. The only other subject given a whole chapter is that devoted to love. My goal today is to share... This in a way that will forever change you and change me. And it's the key to church health. It's a key to health for you and I because we are the church. 1 Corinthians 13, it's v- very poetic in many ways. And uh, let's just go through this together. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. You want to know what love is? Don't look at the media, don't look at the world. Here's what love is love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always, always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And I'm going to ask everybody, wherever you're joining us from, to join in in reading verse 8. Let's read it together. Love never fails. Let's say it again. Love never fails. I could go all kinds of places with that statement in our culture today. Anybody like famous quotes? I like famous quotes. I was going through some of the quotes that have kind of been woven into the fabric of at least my life, things I've heard over and over and over. Probably you've heard some of these. I I made a long list, and I'm like, boy, that's way too long. I I think people get where I'm going, but I I do love these. Um, We've heard quotes like this. It's better to have loved than to have never loved at all, right? Alfred Tennyson said that. Knowledge is power, That's another quote. Francis Bacon said that. Here's another one To err is human, to forgive is divine. Alexander Pope shared that. Here's another one God helps those who help themselves. How many of you thought that was a Bible verse? Be honest. Some people, I've had people say they think that's a Bible verse. That's not a Bible verse. God doesn't help those who help themselves. He helps those of us who can't help themselves, which is every single one of us. I'm glad God doesn't just help those who help themselves. Before I give you this last quote that I believe is the key to health, and actually it's the springboard, it's the main focus of the entire message today, you're going to hear it over and over and over because we need to get it. It needs to go from our head to our heart into our lifestyle every single day because if I haven't told you, it's the key to health. It's from a man that maybe some of you have never heard about. Some of you may recollect this person's name. He was a professional baseball player from 1927 to 1948. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame for Major League Baseball in 1982 as the first African-American Pitcher ever to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. His name, Leroy Satchel Paige. That's him. How many have heard of him? Okay, decent amount. Let me tell you something about Satchel Paige you probably never knew. The amazing thing about this African-American baseball player Satchel Paige was not just that he was a great baseball player, Not only was he a great baseball player, but he was the only black man on the field pitching. He was most the only black man on the field at all. And he was criticized. He was criticized. He was ridiculed. He was screamed at. He was racially slurred over and over and over. And not just by the opposing teams and fans, but by his own fans of the team he played for. They would yell slurs at him. He would get threats. He would hear the most disgusting, vile things that a human being could hear from another human beings. And this is a story that can be verified. One of the teams that he played had a plan. And their plan was to humiliate Satchel Page. And so what they did is they put their very f- four best hitters One, two, three, and four in a lineup. Now, if you know baseball, you don't necessarily put all your power hitters up front. You kind of do three people and then a power hitter and then three and a power hitter so you can get those people on base and somebody else hopefully can hit them in, right? But they decided they were going to put their very best, strongest hitters right up front. One, two, three, four, and try to knock him out of the game. Well, Satchel Paige heard about this and he was not necessarily happy about it. He had enough ridicule, enough fans that beat him up verbally everywhere he went. And so that day, Satchel Paige came up with his own plan. And when they took the field that day and he took the mound to pitch, he told all of his outfielders, come on in and go into the dugout. And then he told all of his infielders, don't play your typical base. Go ahead and sit on the base. Just sit down. And Satchel Page faced batter number one, batter number two, batter number three, and batter number four, and he struck every single one of them out. They didn't even put a bat on the ball. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Satchel Page played in a time where often he played two games in one day and pitched both of them. Later in life, get this, Satchel Page pitched three innings for Kansas City when he was 60 years old that's unheard of. (laughs) And Satchel Paige had some famous quotes. Some of them I find pretty humorous. He said, if you want to be a big, a good pitcher, if you want to be a great pitcher, just keep the ball off the fat part of the bat. That's amazing. (laughs) That's pretty easy. Just don't let it, the ball hit the fat part of the bat. You'll be good. He says this, how about this quote, work like you don't need the money. He also came up with a famous quote that you probably know, but you didn't know it was his. He said, dance like nobody's watching. Satchel Paige. But then the phrase that I believe is the greatest quote ever that Satchel Paige said, and he lived it out. And if you and I will live this out, it will change our life like it changed Satchel Page's life. I believe it's the key to living the life Jesus modeled for us as his church to live out in this world. Satchel Page, at the end of one of those games that he pitched, where he had heard racial slur after racial slur, derogatory comment after derogatory comment, He was interviewed by a reporter, and the reporter asked him, said, Satchel, how does it feel to hear all of those things that people are shouting at you from the stands? How do you take that night after night after night and still go on as if it doesn't affect you? And Satchel Page said this, it's on your notes. He says, You got to love like you've never been hurt. Wow. You've got to love like you've never been hurt. That's what you choose to do. Everyone that's hearing my voice, can I tell you, you want to know the key to church health? You want to know the key to not allowing your outside influences to, tor- to, to distract you, to destroy you from the inside out? We've got to love like we've never been hurt. Satchel Page of all people knew what it was like to be literally dismantled by someone else's mouth. He'd been lied about. You've been lied about. You are going to have conflict. You've already had it in your life, and so have I. You're going to have conflict probably, if you're like most of us, with people that you love, people maybe in your own family. You're going to be stabbed in the back. You're going to be misunderstood. And you know something? When I talk about you being stabbed in the back, lied about, gossiped about, some of you, for some of you, you already have a name and a face that popped up in your brain. Mark Twain said, I love this, if you find a dog on the side of the road that's hurt, that's starving, that's mangy, that's dirty, that's dying, and you feed that dog, and you take that dog home, and you groom that dog, and you nurture that dog back to health, that dog will never bite you. He went on to say, there lies the difference between a human being and a dog. Because many times, the people that you've loved the most will hurt you the deepest. Isn't that true? Jesus had a famous quote when he said in Matthew 17, it's not on your notes, but he said, offenses must come. In other words, you're going to be offended. It's going to happen. You're going to be offended. People are going to offend you. You're going to be in conflict. People are going to talk about you behind your back, to your face. They're going to say things about you that aren't true. They're going to drag your name through the mud. I mean, anybody can get along with anybody when there's no conflict, right? Isn't that amazing? I don't have a problem getting along with people that like me and aren't in conflict with me. People that share the same viewpoint as me, the same theology as me, the same lifestyle. But you know what you do when you get into conflict? You get into conflict with people that don't agree with you, that don't share your vantage point, that don't share your opinions, What do you do then? You've got to take a page out of Satchel Page's book and we've got to learn to love and choose to love like we've never been hurt. The truth is some people, get this, wake up every single morning. It's the routine. They brush their teeth and they sharpen their tongue just so they can attack you because they're hurting so bad on the inside, they're looking to spread some of that pain with you. Satchel Paige couldn't control what people were doing to him. But you know what he could control? What his reaction was going to be back. How he allowed that to affect him on the inside. And they're like, how do you do it? Because I choose to love like I've never been hurt. I'm just laying a foundation today. We're going somewhere. I thought about Joseph from the Old Testament. If you don't know the story of Joseph, you, you might want to read that soon. But I love the picture where he's standing and if you don't know the story, his brothers, his own brothers, his own family, threw him in a b- deep pit. They didn't like his, the brother. The brothers didn't like him. They, and then they tortured this kid, right? And they, they lied about him. They did all these things, and, and all of a sudden, God had a different plan. And if you know the story, Joseph goes on and on and on, and he gets to be a big shot, quite honestly. And he's in charge of the whole kingdom. <laughs> God's got a sense of humor and there's a big famine going on, and Joseph, the little brother that was thrown in the pit and beat up by his other brothers, and all that, all of a sudden, he's in charge of everything. He has the key to the city. He has a key to the barn. He's got a key to the food, and everybody, including Joseph's family, including those people that lied about him, that did him wrong, they're all starving. And then there's a picture of him standing there, and everybody that has done him wrong is around him. The bakers there, his brothers that threw him in the pit are there. Potiphar's wife was there who falsely accused him of being inappropriate with her, which he was not. And in that moment, when Joseph had all the power literally in his hands to get them back, he can use all of his authority and his position. He could throw him in jail. He could have had him killed. He could get his revenge on him any way he chose in that moment. But you know what Joseph did? Joseph made a decision that I'm going to love these people who have done me wrong. Even my own family. I'm going to love them like I've never been hurt. (laughs) I don't know honestly know if I could have done what Joseph did. I think if I had that kind of power and had some people lined up that have hurt me or my family... I think I might have just wiped him out, depending on what my mood was that day. Can we just? I'm just being honest. He saved his family, he saved the entire world because he chose to love like he had never been hurt. Moses, another great story, wanted to set God's people free, right? Remember? but he failed. He failed miserably, if you really want to know the truth. And he ends up wandering in the desert for 40 years. 40 years. Four decades of his life wandering. (laughs) Four decades to think about how he was treated. And then God comes to Moses Comes to Moses, if you remember, in a burning bush. God's speaking to Moses from a burning bush. And God tells Moses, I want you to go back to the people that ate you alive verbally, and I want you to set them free. You know what Moses said? I already petted that dog. It bit me. Like, God, just between me and you, I don't want to go back to those people. Like, they hurt me, and they hurt me bad. I don't want to go back. But God said, I want you to go back. And Moses, I want you to love like you've never been hurt. And Moses went back. He obeyed God, and he set the people free. It's amazing what God can do in a life of a person that will love like you've never been hurt. take Jesus. Here we are on Palm Sunday. This was a very crazy week in the life of Jesus. He was afflicted. He was beaten. He was wounded. All of those things are external hurts. He was beaten so bad his entire body was bruised. That's internal hurts. and He lifts His voice (laughs) on a cross and He didn't wait for them to ask for forgiveness. He made a decision before anyone asked for forgiveness because it's not an emotion. Do You realize forgiveness is not an emotion, it's a choice. Forgiveness can actually rewrite your future. Forgiveness isn't as much about what they are about. It changes who you are. If you hold on to unforgiveness because they haven't asked for it, you're not hurting them, you're hurting you. If you look at the Christian life living like Jesus, it's really just a journey of forgiveness. And the quicker you figure out, the better your life will be. So Jesus is hanging on this cross. He's overlooking all of these people, some that drove the stakes in his hands and his feet, those that beat him. And he cries out, Father, forgive them. I'm going to love them like I've never been hurt. These nails that you put in my hands, these stripes that you put on my back, the pain that you've put in my body, I'm going to love the same people who did this to me like I've never been hurt. I guess what I'm trying to say, there's so many situations in our lives where this applies. I often wonder, driving around, if every house physically fell on the outside that is already broken on the inside, how much vacant land would we have? Even the church, we often don't know how to love each other. And if anyone is going to get this right... If anyone is going to get this right, it's got to be the church. And you and I, if you don't know, we are the church, which means we've got to get this right. We're the body of Christ. And the body of Christ as a whole is full of parents who are even estranged from their own children. Do you know that? I mean, I hear things like, I haven't spoken to my child in a year. We just don't get along. I hear grandparents say, we have a six-month-old that we've never met because me and my daughter, me and my son, we had a disagreement. We had a conflict a couple years ago and we haven't talked since. Brothers not speaking to brothers, brothers taking brothers to court. I've also heard parents say, but my kids have chosen to live a life of sin. So I had to cut them off. Nothing could be further from what God has called us to do. It's one of the saddest things in the world to see families broken. There's people that their kids live within a rock's throw of their home that they haven't seen in a long time, haven't picked up the phone and called their own parents in months or years because of some conflict. But Paul said that the church has been given the ministry of reconciliation, being reconciled. Romans chapter 5 said, when you were estranged from God and you had no righteous compass, you were despicable and you were wrong. And God who is rich in mercy, one who knows the truth about you, took the step and every other step to reconcile you and me back from the cross. And he says, I want you to reconcile with your own kin and your own blood. I want you to be my representatives of loving like you've never been hurt. Those of you that are parents of adult kids, have you noticed that your kids aren't going to raise their kids the way you raised them? Exactly. Have you noticed that? Which is probably good in some cases, may not be good in others. And so what that means is you have the potential for some squabbles, right? Some arguments, Deb and I are parents of two adult kids. We've got five grandchildren. I heard we're done now with grandchildren, so that's great. Five is plenty. I love them to death. But can I tell you something, honestly, as a grandparent, that I'm learning? Not perfect at it yet. Can I give you grandparents a tip about your kids raising your grandkids? Sometimes the best and the wisest thing we can do is grandparents... Is zip it up. I mean, sometimes you just got to zip it up. I looked up an interesting word this week nitroglycerin. <laughs> and if you look up the word nitroglycerin in the dictionary, the first definition says, It's an explosive device used to blow things up. And then the next definition right under it says, or it's a small pill that can heal your heart. wow, how ironic. (laughs) Somebody's having a heart attack and they have a nitro pill. You can put it under their tongue. It quickly dissolves and it can heal their heart. But nitroglycerin, and used another way, can blow things up. Your words and mine are nitroglycerin. They have the power to blow things up in a quick hurry, or they have the potential of healing a heart. If you and I learn to love like we've never been hurt, our nitro can heal a lot of hearts. It can heal a lot of families. It can heal our own family. It can heal relationships. That's the power of your tongue. So when you get up and brush your teeth tomorrow, don't sharpen your tongue. Choose to use your tongue in a way that heals hearts instead of destroys lives. Sometimes you have to look at your kids who have made bad decisions. Sometimes you have to look at your kids that you may not agree with all of their choices or their lifestyle and say, I love you. I may not approve of everything you're doing, but as long as you live, you're mine and I love you. I may not abet you or finance your lifestyle. If you choose to live that route, that's your choice, but nothing is going to stop me from talking to you and loving you no matter what. Because I'm gonna love you because love never fails. Didn't we just read that? Love never fails. Love never fails. Love doesn't come based on someone's choice or their decision of what they do to you, love never fails. It never fails. Well, what do you do when someone just keeps throwing slurs at you over and over and over and over? Satchel Page, you love like you've never been hurt because that's on them. It doesn't have to destroy me. Peter in the Bible asked Jesus a question along this line. Peter, to me, if you don't know much about Peter, he's an interesting guy. I really like him. He's what kids today would call, he's turned all the way up. (laughs) I can relate to Peter. I mean, Peter, if you know him, he'd cuss you out one moment and he'd preach to you the next. He'd build you up with his words once and he'd cut your ear off the next. I mean, that's Peter. I mean, Peter, he was an interesting guy. I think he probably listened to DMX. You guys know that? Y'all about to make me lose my mind up in here, up in here. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Y'all about to make me do some time up in here, up in here. I can relate to that as a dad. There's been a couple of times, honestly, something that's happened to one of my kids, something that I saw my wife get treated badly, or lied about, or mistreated, whatever. And there's part of me, listen, I just wanted to go somewhere up in here, up in here. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You guys are acting holy. How many dads know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You guys, oh, it's Palm Sunday. I'm acting old holy. Listen, I've been there. And anyway, Peter, who's turned all the way up, He asked Jesus one day, he said Jesus, how many times Peter was asking Jesus about a mathematical formula about how many times do I got to forgive somebody that hurts me? The religious folks of the day, the Pharisees they taught that you have to forgive three times in a day. Well, Peter's trying to Pump up his spiritual resume, he figures he'll just double what the Pharisee says and add one. So he says, Hey, Pharisees say three times. What do you say, Jesus? Like, I'm thinking like seven times. Like, whoo! Jesus is going to think I'm spiritual. Like, you're doubling and adding one. Peter, you, you are one spiritual dude. And Jesus said, No, 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 no. Not Peter. No, no, no. Not seven times, Peter. But seven times 70. 490 times. In a day. You know why? Because Peter's part of Jesus' church and he wanted him to love like he'd never been hurt. So you just keep forgiving, is what he was telling him. Because if you love like you've never been hurt, you can just, yeah. Does it make it right? No. But they're not going to change you. Point number one told you we were going somewhere. Got the foundation laid now. I'm about out of time now. (laughs) Too much up in here. Anyway, (laughs) point number one about forgiveness. Because you can't love like you've never been hurt if you don't have forgiveness. Forgiveness is not about keeping score. Forgiveness is about losing count. You didn't even get excited about that. Do you hear me? Forgiveness is not about keeping score. Forgiveness is about losing count. That's what Jesus said. That's how you're healthy. That's how you love like you've never been hurt. You got to open up. You got to be open to forgiveness. The first step to reconciliation is you gotta be open. You gotta be open to that person. You gotta be open to that parent. You gotta be open to your kid. You gotta be open to a brother, open to a neighbor, the sister, the grandparent, the person that did you wrong, the person that was lying about you, talking behind your back. You're not saying what you did is okay. You gotta be open though to reconciliation because it brings healing. Doesn't mean you gotta be best friends with everybody. But it means you're open, you're taking baby steps, you're creating healthy boundaries. Can I tell you something about parents? You've got one set. When they're gone, they're gone. I can tell you that from experience. I can't tell you how many funerals I've been a part of to see someone literally sobbing out of control over their dead parent that they begged, I wish we could have had one more day where I could have said, I'm sorry, that I wish I would have picked up the phone that I hadn't picked up in years. It's too late then. Forgiveness is not about keeping score. It's about baby steps. It's about open to reconciliation. It's about boundaries. Doesn't that sound familiar? Boundaries? Second thing, sometimes it takes the worst things done to you to bring out the best in you. Sometimes it's it's the things that, (laughs) the worst things that were done to you to bring out the best in you. Sometimes it's the situations that you would have never signed up for, but because of them and your response to them, if you do it God's way, sometimes it's those worst situations that God uses to bring out the best. We just don't know how long that might take. But you just got to love like you've never been hurt. Our God is a master that taking death, burials and turn them into resurrections. If God can raise someone from the dead, he can raise a dead relationship. But we've got to do it his way. And lastly, I want to say this, and I've always heard my whole life that there's only one unforgivable sin, which is blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which means rejecting Jesus. It means you go through your whole life and you reject Jesus. Once you die, you can't get right with Jesus. It's too late. So that's an unforgivable sin. But I'd actually argue that there's a second one. I'd actually argue that there's a second sin because of what Jesus said. And that is this, it's unforgivable not to forgive. It's unforgivable not to forgive. And let me tell you, when a person gives their heart to Jesus as their Savior and Lord, the Bible says he forgives that person totally and completely. But Jesus says to us that if you don't forgive others, your Father in heaven won't forgive you. He puts a high price tag on forgiveness. How could you think about this How could you ever refuse forgiveness to offer that to someone that hurt you knowing that you've been forgiven by the King and Kings and the Lord of Lords for everything you've done wrong? How could you be a recipient of total forgiveness and refuse to hand it to the next person? You don't understand forgiveness. The key is loving like you've never been hurt. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for your family in this season. It's time for somebody to get open. Open to reconciliation. Open to forgiveness. Open to loving like you've never been hurt. Look at what Jesus said to his church in John 13, 35. Here's a litmus test that he gave to the rest of the world. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. By this, everybody's going to know that you belong to me. If you just say you're a Christian, no. If you listen to the right radio station, no. If you send your kids to the right school, no. If you have a great Christian bumper sticker, no. He says, this is how the world will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another. If you love like you've never been hurt, that's why they'll know. They're going to watch you if you do it my way. And they're going to say there's something different. This is otherworldly. They live as if they've never been hurt. They live and love like it never can fail. I'm going to close with this. Somewhere in this community today, there's probably an 18 or a 19-year-old girl that's in a hospital having a baby, and her boyfriend's there, and her Christian parents are there, and they're upset they're not even talking. The Christian parents are so upset because they've stepped outside of what is best in God's way. I get that. But what they don't realize is what they need now, that couple, what their daughter needs now is for a mama who will walk in that room with tears coming down her face and say, I'm here, and I love you, and I'm going to help you, and I'm going to show you how to change diapers, and I'm going to show you how to prepare bottles, and I'm going to show you how to care for that one-of-a-kind, unique masterpiece that God made in you, even though it wasn't done the right way. That's what love does. Somewhere there's a husband or there's a wife that's been unfaithful to a mate. And legally you could separate. Spiritually, you have grounds to separate. But maybe somebody hears that today and says, you know what? But maybe God wants to do something in our marriage, in our family that could happen. If we're open to doing things God's way, God brought some of us together today, I believe, to touch you and to set you free, to shake you and to wake you. His church. Let me pray for you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, Father, in the name of Jesus, I speak peace over every relationship here. Every marriage here, over every family that's tuning in. I pray for reconciliation in an amazing way. Let families hug, let them eat together. God, some of us will be gathering with family this next weekend, and some of us probably aren't looking forward to it. How timely that we can do some things different and love like we've never been hurt. God, the reason we can love and you can tell us to love like we've never been hurt is because you were the example on the cross of loving and forgiving those that hurt you. God, may your church, us, love like we've never been hurt. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, can I tell you, you've come at a great day. Today's your day. You can open up your heart to Jesus. Turn from your sins. Turn to him. That's called repentance. My way is not working, God. It's wrong. I turn to you. I come to you. I give you my heart. I give you my life. Because you gave your heart and your life for me. God, I want your forgiveness that you offer that cost you your life. But you didn't stay dead three days later on Easter Sunday. You rose from the dead. And you're defeating death means that I can defeat death if my faith and my trust is in you. God, I need forgiveness. I want it. I want to be in your family, adopted, un- never to be unadopted. I always thought I didn't measure up. And the truth of the matter is you don't. But in Christ, <laughs> that's the amazing grace. He gives you what you don't deserve. We're going to talk about that on Easter. Easter. If that's you, right where you're seated, right where you're at, even if you're driving really slow, coming back. Say, Jesus, thanks for dying for me, for offering me what I don't deserve, for loving me like what I've done has never hurt you. So, God, right now I give you my heart. I turn from my sin I turn to you. I repent with everything in me, God. I say, I'm sorry. Come into my heart. Save me. Forgive me. And from this day forward, <laughs> I belong to you. I'm your son, your daughter. I'm your church. Use me, my time, my talent, my treasure to impact others. I give you all the praise in your name. Amen. If you would take those communion elements that we gave you, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, then this really means nothing to you. So you I would encourage you, or especially if you have kids with you that and they haven't made that decision, this really isn't for you. This is for every one of us that maybe even today gave your life and your heart to Christ. Because what communion is, is Jesus said every time you do it, we're to remember what he did for us. And you know what he did for us? His body was broken, it was beaten, it was tortured. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus allowed his body to be beaten and tortured. He took what your sins deserve and mine deserve. And so when we take communion, we're to take this bread and remember it's symbolic. It represents Jesus's body, he said, which has been broken for you. And whenever you take communion together, I want you to look back and remember what I went through So, I could offer you the greatest gift that you could never deserve. And so, when he sat with his disciples before he left, he said, Take and eat. This represents my body, which is broken for you. Do it in remembrance of me. If you'll pull off the foil, this cup represents his blood that again was shed for you and for me. Because without the shedding of blood, sin couldn't be forgiven. They used to in the Old Testament do forgiveness after forgiveness after forgiveness with animals. Jesus came and was the ultimate sacrifice once and for all. No more of those things are needed, but he shed his own blood so your sins and mine could be forgiven. And so when he sat with his disciples, he said, this cup represents my blood. It's why your sins can be forgiven, because I'm going to shed my blood for you. As often as you do this communion, every time you remember and you do this together, I want you to remember that this represents my blood that I voluntarily shed so your sins could be forgiven. Drink and remember the price that was paid for our forgiveness. If you'll hold on to those cups so the little bit of juice doesn't stain seats or carpet, hold it upright. When we dismiss just here in a few moments, ushers will have yellow buckets. You can drop those in there. Please don't leave them in the cup holder or on the floor or on the arm of your chair. Um, Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for your body that was broken for us. Thank you for your blood that was shed for us, for our sins. Jesus, thank you that uh, your word is still alive. And God, thanks for the privilege that we have this week to love like we've never been hurt, to invite people to a place for Easter Sunday to join us so they can hear about a God who loves them unconditionally. Let us have conversations. Let us make conversations happen. Let us share your love we say thanks. We love you. We give you the praise in your name. Amen.